everyone. This is my first time doing a podcast, and I don't want to do it like with segments and record it and edit it. I kind of just want to talk and um, just get out all of my thoughts. I am calling this podcast Alcoholism with Daisy, and Daisy's not my real name, but I picked it because of this significance, I guess, to me. If you've ever read the book, The Great Gatsby, or seen the movie, there's a character named Daisy, and she is married to a man named Tom, and there's also Gatsby, who is the love interest. Um, Daisy's life with Tom is very predictable. You know, she's not the most, she's not the happiest that she could be with him, but she has everything taken care of. Um, she kind of knows what to expect. She gets, there's these typical things that she's angry about, but everything is kind of just the way it is, and that's how she's living. And then there's Gatsby, who he's he is in love with her and I believe that you could tell that she's in love with him and um it it's more exciting it's more romantic she's happier but in the end um she chooses to stay with her husband instead of leave and create this new happier life um that she could have and that's not exactly what the whole movie is about but I'm just I make the comparison kind of to alcoholism or drug use, which is like you're you're so used to drinking to drink your feelings away or drinking to, you know, numb physical pain. And you you have a choice to stop. Um, it, I'm not saying that it's not a disease, but you do have a choice to stop. And you could choose this better happier life but it's going to be hard and it's really hard to leave what you're used to and leave what's predictable and you know get uncomfortable and get outside of your comfort zone and I guess that's why that's why I picked the name Daisy because you know I just see it and I see myself I guess as this person that I could have stayed in this very predictable, easy easy life, you know, compared to going through changes and changing up my world and but the result, you know, is being happier and um I guess becoming more of who I am rather than what other people expect. And um I've kind of had a rough time with that the past few years. So, my story definitely started um, probably when I got into my first serious relationship. Um, but I, I don't know if I really want to start there right now. Um, kind of what I want to start with is just a little bit about me and how I am right now. So, right now, I have about a year and almost a month of sobriety... And I just picked up my one-year chip on November 7th. So I actually would like to start with just how my last month was. Um, I got very angry during the last month and just terrified during the last month. 
and I guess I've heard people in the room say that it's because I, when you come up to like a year anniversary or a two year anniversary, that you get a little bit squirrely. And I, of course, thought, oh no, that's not going to happen to me. Oh yeah, it happened to me. <laughs> I got, I was just angry at like everyone, everything. I, wanted to isolate, didn't want to be around people, and I just wanted to drink then, and it was actually a really hard few weeks leading up to my one year, and then I got my chip, and that was wonderful, but I actually, and I thought that when I got my chip that I was over that, like, hump of anger, and um, I actually stayed pretty, just stayed in fear until right past Thanksgiving, and I, um, I don't know what changed right after Thanksgiving, but up until that point, um, I was in this dark place and I had been for quite a few years of thinking that, um, things would be easier if I was just not alive. Uh, it's, I hate using the word suicidal, um, I don't feel like I can use it, um, because I've never tried to kill myself, and I actually, I don't want to, but it just, if you relate to this, maybe you'll understand what I mean when I say that it just feels like it would be easier to just not be here, and there's also this feeling of, um, not being loved enough by my immediate family and in a way if I wasn't here like it was like maybe it will hurt them and that's a terrible way to think I know um but it was there for a long time I I I know it started in high school and I'm 27 now or I'll be 27 in a few weeks and it somehow right after Thanksgiving this feeling was lifted and I don't know if it's from being sober for over a year that I finally got this I don't know it's not an epiphany because it's a feeling it's not an idea it's like I enjoy being alive now um and I can honestly attribute that to um really being an AA Alcoholics Anonymous and meeting people like me and getting support and love because I didn't really have that recently from immediate family. Um, I've been out of contact with my parents for about six months and before that, for about a year before that, it was very sporadic and very angry because, you know, I'm stuck in this place right now where I think that they owe me apologies for what a a very terrible thing. And I haven't come to accept yet that I'm probably not going to get those apologies, but I'm actually okay with our stagnant relationship right now. And maybe I'll get more into that in another episode, but um, yeah, being sober for a year has changed a lot, and I guess what had happened, I guess why I, I got sober was because I 
am in love with someone and I was out drinking during a weekend and when we were out I had been drinking too much and uh when we got back to where we were staying everyone was going to bed and I just wanted to stay up and have another drink and he pointed out that I was drinking alone and why was I gonna do that and it was like I don't know I just want to I want to get more drunk and I mean I guess yeah there's no reason to do that it's like past midnight like opening up an IPA and um he pointed out that I was being just like my mother who I had talked about to him before um not necessarily because she went out and then came home and uh would drink more but just because I didn't like it a lot when I was younger and um how her drinking was and obviously like he was kind of paralleling it to him seeing me like that and seeing me drink and I guess that was the first day that it kind of hit me that like oh shit like I want to be a really good mom one day and like I can't control this and and I couldn't um I had tried to stop drinking I think the first time I told my boyfriend I would try to stop is in January 2017 and I didn't do it and then I've made little promises all over the place that I would you know, try to cut back or try to stop. And I remember in August 2017, I um, tried to like pick out like a half marathon that I'd want to do that was in like, I don't know, maybe November, December, something like that. And I told him that I was, you know, going to be healthy and not drink and train for this half marathon. And I actually uh, think I made it about three weeks without a drink. And I don't know, maybe I had a stressful day and we went to a movie theater where they serve alcohol and I had a drink. Um, it was something like that. And I never imagined that I could live a life without alcohol. I actually um, thought it was crazy how like women stay sober for nine months while they're having a baby. Like, not that I would ever, I ever planned on drinking whenever I got pregnant in my life. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was like, like, how do they do that? Oh my gosh. And, um, so I, after that weekend where he told me that I was being just like my mom, I looked up meetings on Sunday night for Monday morning and I planned on going to one and I didn't go. And then, um, I, on Monday night, I looked at meetings again. I took a screenshot of, you know, the place and time and I sent it to him and, told him that I was gonna go there and he asked me what I expected from it and you know I actually thought it was like a rude question at the time I guess like I was like you know in my head I'm like what do you mean like what do I expect to get from there like you know I don't not to fucking drink like why else would I go to an AA meeting but I was like uh I don't know and I just left it that and kind of was just angry in my head and I definitely had misplaced anger towards him because this was my problem and I went there and um I don't know it it was scary I I don't remember like I don't know I guess a lot from 
my first meeting, just like people kept asking my name and I introduced myself like five million times. Um, I feel like I want to say, because I didn't know any better. No, but uh, no, you should introduce yourself a lot. Um, people there do want to help. And, um, and I amazingly like this, the first meeting I went to ended up being my home group and it's where I've been going almost every morning for the past year. Um, a great suggestion that I got in the first few days was try to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And I did that and, um, man, it was hard, uh, because there's so many, you know, new people, annoying people, annoying ideas, like annoying suggestions, just everything that kind of being thrown at you. And it's because people know you're new and they want to help. And it's like, it can be really overwhelming. And then you have all these people that have pretty much been hanging out like for fucking ever. And like, because some of them have, you know, 20 years of sobriety, they've been sitting in that room forever. And you're like, why are you still coming back here? Like, and and I don't know, later on you kind of find out it's like, because they want to help it. Like, it's not because like, you know, there's some kind of like chronic drinker or anything. It's like, well, it's because like they learned, you know, what to do and they're there to help other people and it helps keep them sober also. Um, even though, you know, the, like the, the want to drink has been lifted Um, so I have, so again, like I've been going there for about a year and a month now, and I definitely checked out other meetings too. And this one was just the one for me. Um, and man, if you're going to go check out an AA meeting, please check out more than one because there are some other meeting places I went to that I will not go back to unless I am desperate because they were too strict or they scared me or I don't know you gotta it's hard to find where you fit in but like you will find it and believe me these people are gonna annoy you because they're telling you what you don't want to hear um you didn't show up to AA because you don't have a problem so I also also so you know a part of AA is doing you know 12 steps and Although uh, I've been there for a year and a month, I have not done these. And I, so people, they tell me, you know, often enough, like, hey, you should make sure you get through the steps. Like, Jesus Christ, like, I want to, but it makes me angry hearing it because, like, I also don't want to and I haven't done it. And, you know, it's kind of like, like, they are trying to be helpful, but they're calling me out on it. And it's like... I am on my third sponsor, um, man, and that's a whole other thing to get into, but, um, so, it's actually, that is kind of what I wanted to do today was, uh, and that's why I wanted to start this podcast, is actually because I wanted to talk about how I'm going through the book, the big book, it's this blue book titled Alcoholics Anonymous, (laughs) And I wanted to talk about it while I go through it so other people maybe could hear and maybe could get help or they're just going to absolutely hate this and you don't have to listen then. Um, But I wanted to just talk about it while I go through it because I'm going to be spending an hour every Monday with my sponsor 
and we're going to go through, you know, whatever we can in this blue book and uh, just keep doing it every Monday for one hour. And I think I'm ready to make that commitment now. Um, It took me a while. Like most people, they go into the rooms and then like, you know, they get a sponsor and they like bang out these steps and it's like, man, because they're there are people that came in around the same time as me, you know, uh, they call them litter mates. So like my litter mates, they've all been through the steps and I haven't. Um, and I'm okay with that. I don't sound okay with that. So I'm probably not. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) um, so they've gone through it and they do seem to have more relief and I don't understand it because I haven't done it. Um, and I, I don't know. I I just wasn't ready. And it really, I don't know. It is okay with me. I was going through a lot of other painful things like healing during the last year. And man, when you get sober, all of your emotions just start to fucking pour out and you have so many emotions and still the only ones I'm good at identifying are happiness and anger, but I'm actually not good at identifying them because dude, there's so many little emotions like that are around happiness and so many other emotions around anger, like jealousy. And, uh, it's, man, it's actually like hard to identify. Um, so actually my old sponsor is supposed to be sending me this, like, I don't know, emotional wheel, I guess that you can, she's like, Oh, you've probably seen this. You've been in therapy. And I'm like, hell no, I haven't seen it. Like, Oh my God, I'm going to, I don't know. I guess identifying emotions for me is still scary. Um, everything is kind of new when you're (laughs) sober and and fuck if my anger hasn't uh gone away dude in the first like three months I was just constantly angry six months it got better but I was still pretty angry at nine months it was I mean yeah again better but still angry and then in the last three months it's gotten a lot better in the last month I really only got very angry once and that was yesterday and oh my god we're not going to get into that, but dude, my anger stuck around and it it's there. Um, but I'm learning on working on it. And it's because like growing up, uh, me and my siblings never cried about anything. Um, it's not that it wasn't allowed. We just didn't fucking cry. Uh, so my emotions, I don't know. They just would build up, come out as anger and in sarcasm. And my sense of humor is still like, Oh, God. I mean, I think it's great, but my sense of humor is really off the wall. So, anyways, um, I definitely want to get to talking about... Where is it? I don't know. I think I'll... There's a a preface and a doctor's opinion, and uh, I don't really want to do that right now because we didn't talk about that today. Um, but chapter one we went through and it's called Bill's story. Um, you know, you can read this on your own. I would highly suggest it. It's really short, but I'm going to go over just the specific lines that kind of stood out to me and my sponsor and that we talked about. Um, so I'll just say the page and generally where it's at and you can read along and then whatever or not. (laughs) So the Well, I had gotten a phone call, so it cut off my audio. So, man, I'm back. Anyways, the first thing that I underlined in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, is on page five. 
Um, it's actually, yeah, it's like one of those lines that, um, when you tell people that you're an alcoholic, it's like, I don't know, it kind of scares them. And I feel like this line is kind of scary to say out loud because, you know, um, it just is. I'm just going to read it. It says, uh, uh, liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Um, that was really, really, really true for me. Um, it became a physical ailment. Um, I, at one point I was, when I was not living with my significant other, right before I was living with him, I, uh, would go to work, come home and my body was literally like aching. And there was just this point that like, I, I knew to feel better that I needed to have a drink. Um, it, I, I got to that point. Not everyone gets to that point and some people get it worse. It comes to the point that you need alcohol or you're going to seize. And for those, for those of you that are very heavy drinkers, um, it's not suggested that you quit right away. And that's not to make you feel relief. Like, Oh man, thank God. Like I don't have to just go cold Turkey. No, it's because like you can seize up. Like if you are a heavy drinker and your body is used to that, um, you can go into convulsions, uh, you need to cut down your heavy drinking, I mean, slowly, but, you know, maybe just try to cut down one or two a week if, if you're a very heavy drinker. Please see your doctor. I am not a doctor. Um, so, yeah, it, it can be scary. Um, withdrawal is scary, man, and when you're withdrawing, especially the first few months even, um, my memory was a piece of shit. My boyfriend was getting mad at me for forgetting things. It was making me really sad. And it was only, um, I, I started getting sober November last year. So November 7th, 2017. And in December, I had to go buy a giant whiteboard calendar because it was causing problems in my relationship that I couldn't fucking remember things. It was really embarrassing. Um... If you hear a cat meowing, it's because she's outside my door right now. Because she will attack me if she, if I'm not paying attention to her. So, <laughs> um, the next line that I underlined uh, was, uh, beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Uh, and I didn't underline that because I needed it for breakfast, but it was because I needed it for dinner. Um, I couldn't eat dinner um before I started drinking I definitely needed a few drinks in and then I could start eating um it's just by the afternoon uh I I just needed it I my stomach it didn't feel good just putting food in it it's like I I don't know how to explain it it's almost like I needed alcohol for digestion um I have no idea why I don't know any kind of scientific reasoning behind it it that's just how I was um, so yeah, um, also on page five, the second to last paragraph, uh, before then I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business. And so I did. I kind of relate that to my relationship. Um, like I said, like I had tried first to quit in January, 2017. At that time I did write down in a letter how I was going to quit and how I saw it affecting our relationship. I could see these things and I don't know if, and I meant what I said, but I could not follow through. Um, 
I, I feel bad about it. Um, but I also don't know, like, was I just writing the things just to, you know, get, get my significant other off my back for a little bit? Like, did I actually mean them? Cause I guess until I walked into AA and found other people like me, I couldn't do it. Um, and so let's just go to the next page. Numbers, page six. I told myself I would manage better next time, but I might as well get good and drunk then, and I did. Oh, so this paragraph was talking into, um, talking about picking up a drink and, you know, it, and this is, I, I had talked to my sponsor about this and I'm like, yeah, that would definitely happen with me right now if I, if I took a shot of vodka and it kind of ruined my sobriety streak, like, dude, I'm not going to stop at one shot. I already fucking ruined my streak. I ruined my day then. I'm going to definitely get drunk and start over. Uh, and that's the danger of even picking up the first drink is you you might just get stuck in this in this loop again. And it's a terrible loop. Um, the next sentence I underlined is the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. Um, that's the loop you get stuck in. Uh, you wake up, you aren't sure what did you text? What did you say? What did you do? And then you just feel all this guilt about it. And it's, it's, yeah, it's unforgettable. It's very sad. Um, page seven. Oh, easy. I could eat little or nothing when drinking, uh, and I was 40 pounds underweight. Me, on the other hand, I drank, then I ate. But it was like uh, cold spaghettios and cold ravioli. Next line on page seven. No, uh, it's second left paragraph again. Um, so there's a line I underline. I underline. Surely this was the answer. Self knowledge. Um, you know um, what is it that they say? It's like. You know, the behaviors that you had that led you into the rooms, uh, that was your self-knowledge. And so this line is kind of making fun of, fun of that. Like, surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. It, it isn't the answer. Um, because you had habits that led you to the rooms. Like, your ideas aren't good. You need suggestions of other people. Um, and I'm not even bringing, like, a higher power into this. You you just need help and hearing the help and accepting the help. They are very different things. And man, like I said, you'll experience so many different emotions with it, but I'm man, choose Tom or Gatsby Gatsby. Anyways, I didn't underline eight or nine on page 10, like the second line. Um, It's the line I underlined is certainly I was interested. I had to be for I was hopeless. I related to this line because when I went into the rooms of AA, I was definitely hopeless. I I knew I couldn't quit drinking on my own. I was embarrassed, but it's amazing like how loving these people are in there. Um, I was embarrassed telling my boyfriend that I was going, but I told him first because that was going to be the hardest person to tell. And then, you know, meeting these people in the rooms who they have the same problems with drugs or alcohol. They have the same problems as me. Um, 
God, you have, it was relief. Uh, it, hearing their different stories every day and how they're handling life and like how much we all relate. It's, man, it's amazing. It, it's so different than I guess being around, you know, quote unquote normal people. Um, they get it. So anyways, in the second to last paragraph, um, so this is kind of getting into the God thing, but please don't rely on that so much. It says, I had little doubt that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlay all. I simply had to believe in a spirit of the universe who knew neither time nor limitation. So a lot of people that come into AA, um, you can come an atheist and stay atheist. You don't have to believe in anything. Um, there is a lady I know that I absolutely adore and she's probably, I think she's about 30 years sober. She believes in nothing. She's an atheist, but she knows that working through these steps, realizing her part in things, making amends, you know, those things work. So please don't get hung up on, you know, whatever you think created the universe. Um, you know, what's like, what, I guess what's important kind of is routine. Um, I don't know, like, because I guess it's maybe because it's placing something physical, you know, that you, you see, I guess, because some people say like, oh, you just pick a tree and make that your higher power, Uh, pick a doorknob and make that your higher power. I have a little stuffed penguin and like, I could make him my higher power. Um, and so it, it, so this other line I underlined has to do with this also. When they talked of a God personal to me, who was love, superhuman strength and direction, I became irritated and my mind snapped shut against such a theory. Yeah, that's totally okay. Um, it's, your God is whatever you want it to be. Um, I think it's, it's so you're like putting direction towards something um, that I guess maybe it's the feeling that you're just not praying to nothing. And because a lot of, um, what you, what you pray for, at least like for myself, it's, you kind of think of it like, or you think of the thoughts yourself and it'll kind of come to you because you're not praying for things to happen for you. Like, Oh, I want a million dollars. Like that's not going to happen to you. You pray about like how you can be useful to others. I pray that um, my family uh, gets everything that I want and need. And I absolutely fucking hated that line before. I was like, no, I want this stuff. Like, I want everything I want and need. Like, why do they deserve it? Why do they deserve this? Why do they deserve that? But um, actually, I, and it, but it's because I want them to be happy even if I'm angry. And I, I kind, I generally stick to praying for other people and I really haven't prayed, I guess, about how I, I could be useful to other people, but lately, I guess I'm just trying to be a good friend I'm trying to be there and that's what I can do right now. Um, so. Anyways, I'm going to go to page 11. It's kind of in the middle of the page. Um, and, oh, and, and, um, so this line, it began to look as though religious people were right after all. 
Here was something at work in a human heart which had done the impossible. Um, and so this is kind of talking about lifting the obsession of drinking. And it's that transformation that you can see in some people who have had like a terrible heroin addiction, terrible alcoholism. They were barely functioning. And then, you know, over time you see them just change and you see the person they become. And it there's no way you could have imagined it, you know, a year earlier, five years earlier, 10 years earlier, because they're the kind of person like, you know, just shooting dope and everything. And, um, it's, it's something at work in the human heart, which had done the impossible. And you can truly gain that just, you know, being there for others, working through this program. I feel like I have seen it, although I haven't gone through it completely. Um, it's weird sitting in the rooms and seeing all this happen around me. And I've gotten some of like, I guess the benefits of I've, I don't know. I've, I've just changed by listening to other people and listening to their stories. Um, and something is at work. Um, whether it's the tree outside or the doorknob or my penguin, I don't know what's at work, but something is at work. And that's it. So, um, page 12, I underlined in the second last paragraph, God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough. So what that says to me is whatever, you know, you're, you can't be selfish. Um, I think like you have to, you have to you have to believe almost like that there is good in the world um because you, you just need to want good to happen to yourself and good to happen to other people and it, and it's i think I think this line maybe necessarily you don't even need to use God in it because i also i just think it's you know when you're finally concerned enough with doing good, you're gonna receive good so it that's why all the all the religious stuff when people, you know, avoid AA because of religion, like you can kind of change this up to what you want it to be. Like your program of AA isn't everyone else's program. You can kind of do it. Do it your own way. Define your own God. Make a list of what God can and cannot do for you. That's what I did. And I know my God can't grant me, even if I want to call it my God, like, I mean, whatever. But anyways, like my God can't, you know, give me a new car you can't give me money but like I I can pray for other people and and it's weird when you start to pray for other people and you don't want to it's you need to do it every day and it blows it blows praying for people that you hate um but it's like you pray for them to get things that you want and that you need and that they want and need and I don't know it I don't believe necessarily in karma, but I don't know. Once you start acting better and treating other people better, your life does get better. But it's because of your own actions, not necessarily because this random magical thing exists. Anyways, page 13. Um... I'm going to skip a little part of it, and I'm going to go to... 
I was to sit quietly when in doubt, asking only for direction and strength to meet my problems as he would have me. Never was I to pray for myself for myself, except as my requests bore on my usefulness to others. I've already talked about that pretty much. I am terrible at sitting quietly when in doubt and asking for direction and strength. Um, really, this is what people in the program call pausing, and I did not understand it, I swear to God, until about three months ago. Maybe that's what helped my anger so much. I don't know. I didn't, do, I didn't practice this yesterday for sure when I got angry at my boyfriend. Um, but... I, man, I do not sit quietly when in doubt, and oh my god, I, this switch flips in me, and I go from nice me to angry me, and oh my god, I hurl insults, and because, you know, because I'm selfish, because it's all about me, like, why would you say that to me, why would you do this, like, everything is directed at me, 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 um, and I truly need to practice uh, sitting in silence um, at my meeting this morning. We talked about it um, to especially for couples and I mean, even friends, though. But just if someone says something that is really irking you and, you know, you're kind of about to go off, you really just need to sit in silence. Um, walk away for 10 minutes. Walk away for 15 minutes. If you get a sponsor and you're in the program, give your sponsor a call, but really maybe even sit in the silence for 15 minutes and you might be over it or sit in silence, see if you're over it. If you're not, then give a friend a call. Um, that's also a benefit of AA is you're going to get a million friends to call if you join AA. Uh, man, I'm not trying to like promote, I guess that's a bad thing, whatever. I just want to talk about it, but it, and my experience, um, when I walked into the rooms, um, and got very overly welcomed, I, they passed around this book and gave me a, like all these numbers, these phone numbers to call people. Um, and these are still people that I see like every day. It's amazing. And I can call them anytime I need. Um, I'm still bad at calling people. I'm really good at texting. And I, I let people know that because I'm, I don't know, that's just how I am. <laughs> So you don't have to change who you are. <laughs> um, next, the end of page 13, belief in the power of God, plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements. Simple but not easy, a price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. Everybody is self-centered. Everybody. Uh, you go through AA, you're still self-centered, but you're working on looking at yourself, seeing your part in things, looking at other people, seeing their part, but you're not blaming. You're just trying to see like what actually went on. It's kind of like fact versus fiction because it's your opinion and how your head makes up things. Oh my God, my head will make up so many stories and, um, God, they're not even true half the time. Like on how, like I think someone's mad at me or, I think people are annoyed with me or I, you know, I, you know, you, if bleh, I'm just like mumbling now. So you know, just start out being willing. That's what I would say because I feel like I have willingness, but I didn't have it enough 
during the last year, I guess, because I didn't want to go through the steps. I kept feeling like I had too much weight on my chest. Everything was too heavy. Um, that is my excuse, but I do believe it to be true. <laughs> um, I'm, I try to be as honest as I can and humility and being humble. Ah, man, when you're humility to see your part is very hard. I've kind of, without doing the steps, I've generally, I've gotten, I've still gained good habits by listening to people and by going to meetings. So you don't have to show up and like do everything. I guess I keep stressing that because it's fucking true. Like you don't have to like everybody in the rooms. Man, right before my one year, I told everyone I was so annoyed with them and like I hated being in the rooms because I did. And people laughed at it. And it's because they all feel the same way sometimes. Like nobody in those rooms is perfect. Um, nobody, you, no matter how many years they have, but they all have stories and advice and it might help you. And if you don't like their shares, it might be helping someone else. And maybe one day you'll like them. So destruction of self-centeredness. Listen, on page 15, um, for if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again, and if he drank, he would surely die. Um, And then in the middle of the page, it says, uh, work with another alcoholic would save the day. This is all talking about how helping others saves us. I'm not a sponsor. I haven't gone through the steps, but I share how I feel. I share what I'm going through and other people can relate. And just by being a friend, like you're helping others and you'll hear from others and they'll relate. You won't feel alone and they won't feel alone. Um, so it's turning your thoughts to another alcoholic. Um, so it's actually, it, it's weird because... You know, this whole this whole thing is self-centered because you're thinking about yourself and you're sharing all your bullshit. They get someone to share their bullshit with. You help each other. Like, I mean, it's kind of great. You can really share just about anything because shit, nearly anything can drive you to uh, drink or drug. <laughs> um, so we commence to make many fast friends and a fellowship has grown up among us of which is a wonderful thing to feel apart. Wow, I read that sentence really blah, blah, blah. Anyways, um, so the fellowship in the room is something I just cherish. I went to church pretty much every Sunday until middle school, probably about seventh grade. Um, it was a Christian church, and I don't necessarily miss going to church, but I really missed uh, the people. Um, and I don't even think I miss the people because I feel like everyone there was very fake and not honest and you know, their lives were just putting on a show for other people. Um, but I missed, I missed feeling cared about. And when I went to AA and I stuck around, um, man, especially when I got my three month chip and I made it 90 days and I got my three month chip, I felt loved. I felt cared about, um, it, I didn't know that I had so much support even, and I, all I was doing was showing up. I, I rarely opened my mouth. I rarely shared. I, I just shared uh, just a few of the really hard things I was going through. And it, it's actually really nice having people listen because 
sometimes I just wanted to, you know, share what I got out or share, get out what I wanted to share. And, um, when you're sharing in a meeting, no one's replying to you right away. No one's just, you know, hurling advice at you that you don't even want to hear. Like you just get to share it and it's out of you and it feels so good. Um, I, I, I don't know what I would do right now if I didn't have the fellowship, I guess, in those rooms. And I always thought fellowship is such a weird word. And I don't know, it just sounds so like, it sounds so churchy, but like I think about it in a different way now that I go to AA meetings. Um, Another thing, there is scarcely any form of trouble and misery which has not been overcome among us. Um, That line, um, that's, that's just how your hope can grow in those rooms so much because you will hear people share experiences that you didn't realize other people were going through or that so many other people went through just all these emotions that I don't know, I guess I felt very alone. I didn't know how, and I felt alone because of some experiences that I've gone through in my life. And I didn't, I didn't have people close to me to reach out about it. And man, hearing other people talk about certain topics, it gave me hope and it filled me with hope. And oh my gosh, like I don't ever want to lose it because I feel so much better now after a year than than I felt um, even six months ago. About six months ago, I I just shared one of the one of the days that I was feeling kind of the absolute worst and I just cried and shared and Man, and like I said, I'm not one to cry. I don't like to cry. I, especially around strangers, like crying is something that like when I was at home, I would go to the bathroom and lock the door to cry because I shared a room with my sister, so I couldn't cry in there. Um, and, and as it says, yeah, there's scarcely any form of trouble and misery, which has not been overcome among us. There's someone that shares your story, that shares parts of your story, not your exact story, but what everyone likes to say is, you know, look for the similarities, not the differences. Because if you walk into those rooms and you think of all the reasons that you're so different than everyone else and how your story is different and, you know, you're just gonna, you're not gonna find a reason to stay and to, you know, choose this happier lifestyle, um, which is hard work. It's, it, your life can be so much more enjoyable if you look for the similarities Find people like you, get their numbers, you know, start reaching out and they'll reach out to you too. It's not a one-way street. Um, people want to help you. Um, so yeah, I, you will find those like you. All right, then we are at page 16, which is the last of chapter one. Hmm. <laughs> You know, I really, I, I like the last two paragraphs of it. It's just about five, four or five sentences. So I'm just going to read them and, you know, wrap up with this. There is, however, a vast amount of fun about it all. I suppose some would be shocked at our seeming worldliness and levity. But just underneath, there is deadly earnestness. 
Faith has to work 24 hours a day in and through us or we perish. Most of us feel we need to look no further for utopia. We have it with us right here and now. Each day, my friend's simple talk in our kitchen multiplies itself in a widening circle of peace on earth and goodwill to men. I mean, that's like, I feel like that is how I feel about the program now, um, how I feel about AA now. There is such a vast fun amount about it all. Um, My group laughs so much. I feel like these are the people that I was missing out on my entire life. And it's funny because they're all former drug addicts and alcoholics and God, do I love them all. And just, man, in, in their experiences. And it's not like these are sad people. I imagined when I first went into the rooms that it was going to be like this circle of chairs of all these sad people, like, and, you know, they're all going to look homeless and um, they actually all look just like me. Um, they're normal people. These are, you know, people that have stopped drinking, stopped drugging, like got jobs and, and you, like people coming in like me that they're, you know, their lives are a mess. And then these, you know, seemingly normal people want to help and it's mind blowing. Um, and yeah, most of us feel we need need look no further for utopia. Um, maybe that is what I found now. And that is why I don't feel like I want I want to not be on earth. Um, I found my people. I found um, my tribe. And man, yeah, it's like every day. Um, and this ends, you know, with the each day my friend's simple talk in our kitchen multiplies itself. And that's because AA started in um, the one of the co-founder, Bill W. It started in his kitchen and it started, you know, with him inviting people, talking to people, having coffee. Um, all you need for a meeting is a pot of coffee and two alcoholics and just start there. <laughs> but, man, I am so grateful for the group that I get to go to every day now because of this. Um, maybe you, you think it sounds crazy that I go to a meeting every day, but... It helps me, it helps me not drink. And if that's what works, um, I mean, they say at the, at the end of every meeting that I go to, um, it works if you work it and you're worth it. Why couldn't I think of that for a minute? I say it literally every day, but it's true. So on that note, I will sign off. Thanks for listening.